for the Friday night light scene. It's Friday very Friday night frights. Friday night frights, whatever. Okay. For the football whoa, scene. Whoa, why did you just brook us? Oh, because. There's a heartbeat under my floorboards, charging me guilty, and I don't know what for. There's a blackbird over my door, singing nevermore, nevermore, nevermore. Really nice. Or you're at a party with your friends, and you're celebrating something, so you're going to party hard. And you just drop a little amethyst crystal in all their glasses and say, <laughs> hey, everybody, we can drink as much as we motherfucking want. Hey. And then when the cop pulls you over, you're like, oh, you don't understand. I put amethyst crystal in the glass. You know that those Greeks, it's all about eliminating intoxication. Uh, all I know is I have my Etsy store idea. Boom. Uh, copyright. Red Devil. That was so fucking fun to sing Flory. Yeah, I know. I cannot wait to hear that. There's a ghost. And I'm your host with the most. That was my take on it, because I'm the host. Mm. What would Edgar Allan Poe have to say about that? Nevermore. That's the raven. Her mother's a whore. Ah! I got nightmares in my head, I fear That the thoughts build up until I can't hear That my mind fills up into a creature And it haunts me somewhere much deeper Red Devil, how much do you enjoy the second episode of Scream, the TV series, Hello, Emma? Oh man, I feel like we just dive in. I kind of felt like that with the pilot. We just continue the craziness, and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Deep, like the cuts that Rachel implements upon herself. Deep, like the middle of Wren Lake. Deep, like Noah Foster's intelligence. The following is a dialogue in the classroom of Seth Branson, between Seth Branson and Noah primarily, but Brooke and Riley do chime in. Seth Branson starts us off. All right, Will Graham, what is this killer's design? And then you get to cue the violin music, the scream theme music, because Noah's given yet another monologue or rambling diatribe. Murder is a lonely game, you know. I mean, say you're the killer. Okay, you sneak into Nina's house, skulk around, scare her, and then you kill her? Boom. But what then? Take a victory lap around the pool? You just stand watching the blood spread out in the water, thinking crazy guy stuff. Brooke. Creepy monologue alert. <laughs> Riley. So maybe it's no good if he's the only one watching. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's the age of Instagram, YouTube, and Tumblr. I mean, we need to share the things we do, or it's like it never happened. That is very prescient of Noah Foster, if I do say so myself. Anytime, and I mean anytime, dreamy screamers, that you watch a YouTube or a Instagram post, it is somebody letting you know that they ate a snack or that they walked their doggy or that they put together some sort of watercolor presentation because if they don't record it and post it, it never fucking happened. Or they have the cutest cats in the land, a.k.a. O.J. and Othello. I don't think that taking pictures of your otherworldly adorable creatures really is in the same bracket as, say, taking a picture of you consuming your lunch. Because at least you're taking the spotlight off of yourself, in a way. Welcome to Friday Night Frights, dreamy screamers. 
And that is interesting as it is Friday night and you will understand the methods and motivations behind the joke Friday Night Frights with this second episode analysis. Greetings, dreamy screamers. Welcome to Fogos Face, an episodic vivisecting companion series to Scream, the TV series, seasons one and two. The TV series, which premiered on MTV, i.e. murderous television, where we scalpel deep and surgically critique the shamelessly delectable guilty party pleasure. Today, we will cut a slice of the Scream, the TV series, second episode. Hello, Emma. Like you and millions just like you, we struggle to locate in the infinite digital sea a shipwrecked treasure of a television show worth pursuing and exploring. Though often proving a dry hole or fool's fucking gold, our tireless quest is occasionally rewarded with the indelible gem of a striking, mesmerizing, entertaining TV treat. Scream, the TV series, is one personification of that very treat that I just spoke to. The source material, such a treasure trove of valuable, sparkling, priceless matter, you would naturally assume, and wisely so, that the televised iteration of the same would be a lame, goddamn show game. But instead, it slices those hopeless expectations in two and showers us in wicked wit and creative kills, rich and rife with bloody goddamn goo. You are our dreamy screamers, for you are dreamy in your scream and scream deep within your dreams. I politely ask you, to parse and ponder the following. Is it a dream within a scream, or a scream within a dream? Normally, I would venture to express that a scream within the subconscious confines of a dream would morph then into a nightmare, but not here. Here, in your dreamy, dreamlike state, each scream makes you feel alive. For as others may be killed, gruesomely at times, you instead shall thrive as you strive to remain alive and to stick with your living human hive. Welcome, dreamy screamers, to Fogo's face, second slice of tie-dye pie in a dreamy screamer sky. Scaredy alley cat, brute on the loose, self-abuse, and a nearby noose. Friday Night Frights. Fogo's face will some call. Others, he will maul. An infamous mask bound to the past. Pay back a potential bitch to the rich, but Kieran ain't no 21 Jump Street snitch. That was a pretty good one, don't you think? Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to say that. I would have had my tongue twisted. Noah's so very lame, wielding zero game, but still, he'll find fame. Whether victim of suicide or homicide, either way, she's dead inside. R.I.P. Rachel. Will foe Ghostface slay and fillet in dim alleyway? Tricking the coroner, turning scaredy cat in alley corner. One will die in episode two. There are still more bodies for foe Ghostface to cut through, and Noah's more monologuing to do. That makes you happy. I love Noah Foster, and I love him so much, and they say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. 
I am the Noah Foster imposter. Who will die in this episode? Emma, Piper, Riley, Audrey, Nina, Daisy, or Violet, Rachel or Kieran, Sheriff Hud or Maggie? Okay, that is a joke because Nina has already met her fate. Dun, dun, dun. Nina. But I like how they always are still referencing Nina. Oh, she will be a continual plot thread, continuous plot thread, continuing plot thread for most, if not all, of season one. Season two, I start getting a little hazy on the details. This was a potential title for this episode of Faux Ghost Space. The Filthy Rich, A Filthy Bitch, and a 21 Jump Street Snitch. Well, you at least got that in your little rhyme at the beginning. Oh, I know. Now here's a little IMBD trivia for this episode. When Emma runs into the girl's restroom in school, overhears two chicks talking about her. This is in line with the original Scream, 1996, when my favorite Nev Campbell hides in one of the girls' stalls and overhears two girls talking about her slut mother. We had fun talking about that, like her running into the bathroom. It was so great. Yeah. If you haven't already, Dreamy Screamers, please go back a few episodes to a slick flick pick of Scream, where Red Dead Devil and I, we review that episode in fine fashion. The episode title, Hello Emma, is a reference to Hello Sydney by Ghostface in the Scream movies. Hello Sydney. Hello Emma. I feel like the voice for this killer is not as scary, but it's a little bit more deceptive. Roger Jackson, Ghostface voice, was like, I want to know who I'm talking to. This guy's more like, I want to know who I'm talking to. A little bit more innocent, but duplicitous all the same. But both angry and both murderers. In this episode, Will calls Kieran Abercrombie. This is interesting, as Bex Taylor-Kloss, who plays Audrey, she was in the show Arrow, and she often called one of the main characters Abercrombie. Oh, I guess it's a nod. We maybe. need to get you to watch Arrow, Red Devil. Yeah, I know. You've been trying to get me to watch Arrow. I'm sure I'll like Arrow. Daisy in Hell. I'll see you in Hell, Bell. So this is Scream Episode 2, Hello, Emma. Scariest moment. Scariest faux ghost face moment. This is tough. This is only Episode 2, yet it is chock full of terror, suspense, and red herring terror, where you think there's going to be terror, but then it goes in a U-turn direction. What they call flipping the bitch, or, believe it or not, whipping a shitty. It is or a real term. a flippity-flop. Flippity That's flop. what I call it. Mm. Flippity-floppity, give me the zappity. These are the four contender scenes of terror. One, we have Rachel's death within the first five minutes of the episode. It's very quick. The death is quick, but what comes right before the death, as a predecessor to the death, this. This is where you start getting a really fucked up pit in your tum-tum, because you know something is not right. The second scary scene, in no particular order, is what I call Friday Night Frights, where Noah goes out to the football field at the high school for a rendezvous with Riley. Nobody is there. The lights suddenly shut off. What the fuck? Noah is getting very, very petrified inside. And then Riley shows up and he calls her a ninja. And then she immediately retorts that he's a racist for calling her a ninja. That was a great scene where you have a lot of buildup, no kill. Then you have Emma's security call at the end of the episode, where this is really just more ominous, and it's a reminder that the killer can be anywhere, anytime. And lastly, we have 
the alleyway scene right outside the Grindhouse Cafe. And it is so fucking mesmerizing. So what do you think the scariest scene is? That's what I want to talk about. What I think do you my, think? I think my favorite scene is the alley scene. Yeah. For me, especially the first time I watched this episode, it would have been a tie between the alley scene and the Friday night light scene. But if I had to choose one, I have to go with the alley scene. And the reason is for the Friday night light scene, it it's Friday very Friday night frights. Friday night frights, whatever. Okay. For the football whoa, scene. Whoa, why did you just brook us? Oh, because. I took the time on to brands. craft Friday Night Frights. I know, the but I'm just... The least you can do is pay it its proper due. I'm just going to call it the football scene. So, the football scene... There's not one football, by the Oh, my God. See what I have to deal with, guys? I just... Okay. So, the Friday Night Fright scene, is that better? I just feel like it is fleeting. Like, it, it goes by really fast. Like, you have a moment of, oh, crap, and then the lights go down, and then, boom, it's over. It's not that sustained type of dread. But the alley scene, that goes on for much longer. First, you see the homeless guy. Then all of a sudden, he's gone. Then all of a sudden, he's stepping out from the dumpster. And then Emma's finally has the sense to run. And then she almost hits Will with a two by four. So it's just, I think it's a sustained suspense. And then it just plays out nicely. I like the end. Well, why I find it so indelible and memorable is when I first watched it, all I saw was legs. And I had to do a double take where I pause it. I walk six inches from the TV screen, and I'm looking very carefully at this body, and I'm thinking, is this Fogo's face? No, it doesn't appear to be. It appears to be just a bum hanging out by the dumpster in a reclined position. The door is locked from the inside. It closes on Emma while she's taking out the trash. Emma has an organic reason to be out in this alleyway. It's not like it's just set up so that they can have a jump scare. It's also not really a jump scare. It's the best kind of scare where you see a lot. You see it unfolding before your eyes because it's at night. It's in a dark alleyway. Also, I really like the way they shot it because there's this orangish yellowish glare on the top of the image. Imagine how difficult it would be for Emma to see who's there. But you have this homeless person and you can hear like a a beer bottle rattling a little bit. Maybe you hear him growling a little bit like, oh, no big deal. But she then, for whatever reason, realizes that the door closes, turns back around He's completely gone, and all you have is this dumpster flush with the side of the cement wall, or the brick wall. And then, you see this character, you see just enough to see what appears to be them putting a costume on, and then they're standing there, and it's clearly Fogo's face. Whether or not it's somebody just dressing up as Fogo's face, or if it's actually Fogo's face, or it makes you wonder, was that bum just a nondescript bum, or was that the killer in disguise, all to fuck with Emma? These are all questions that you're wondering as she's wondering. But once she sees faux Ghostface standing there, draped in faux Ghostface attire, she grabs a two by four and she runs and then almost beams Will, knocking his head completely off of his neck. All I have to say is I feel like I would have run as soon as I saw the bum. Isn't that terrible? I got the impression the bum did not perturb her. So maybe he's a regular. (laughs) Maybe he's scrounging around for old cinnamon rolls and danishes and whatnot. What did come to mind was just like the film we already referenced, 1996 Scream, when Nev Campbell is being chased up the stairs by the real ghost face, and then immediately after she no longer sees him, Skeet Ulrich appears in the window. You ultimately find out that that's okay, that was just really good timing on his part, because it was his peer that was dressed as Ghostface. But here, who shows up? 
a second after she was being pursued by someone we know to be chameleon-like and slipping on a costume, Will. And what verb does the name Will rhyme with? Kill! Exactly. And blood spill. We don't know. Maybe Will's guilty. Maybe Will's innocent. We just don't know. This episode starts and we see that Rachel, Audrey's girlfriend, is in her room alone and we learn that she's a cutter. Not only is she cutting her arm with a razor blade, but she has scars in a very straightforward configuration that would suggest that she's been cutting her arm in roughly the same spot for a long, long time. We also learn on a very quick subsequent phone call that she does not like her body. It's also why she did not want to go to a party previously, and she just doesn't like herself. Yeah, and she's scrolling, just like spiraling in depression, reading all of these comments that are... From the posted video that right, went viral. The, like negative comments about her, negative comments about them. It's just really sad. You know there are a bazillion people who that represents, and it's just, it's sad. This is where plot, visual, and audio come together in an almost perfect harmony. They're playing a song by Ruel called Monster, and the lyrics go, Monster under my bed, ayo, ayo, ayo. Well, Rachel is on the fucking bed, okay? <gasps> Do you think that's where Phil Ghostface was? I don't know. Under her bed? It would make this example of brilliance in TV show format even richer, but it's just fantastic. This show rewards you for paying attention, don't you think? Don't you think that this show makes it worth your while if you invest your attention into the show? Yes. And I think we should pause. It's probably obvious by now. Obviously, we've seen this series like a gazillion times, which just proves that it has the rewatchability factor. And as you watch it each time, I do really feel like it's one of those series that you pick up on new things each time you watch it. She has a very nice room, by the way. It's very big and well-decorated. And I wish I had that shit when I was a tween. Also, I noticed Audrey, who calls Rachel, Sounds a little weird on the phone. Rachel looks at her phone. It says Audrey, so she recognizes that it's from Audrey. There's some weird static on the phone. Audrey's acting a little strange. And then there's a thud. Question I have. Rachel wouldn't know enough to ask this question yet, but who the fuck is on the phone, I'm wondering? It sounds like Audrey, but she's not talking like Audrey would talk. This is curious. Yeah, and I like when Rachel's like, if this is a coming out of the closet joke, it's not funny. <laughs> it was hilarious, too, because Audrey made a comment about how you're in the closet. And then how would Audrey know that unless she was looking at because Rachel went to her closet? Well, didn't she say look in her closet? I can't remember. But anyway, it all works. And it was hilarious. Well, and it makes even more sense in retrospect that the person on the phone would know things beyond what just Audrey at home or out for a night drive would know because the person is not Audrey. They are, in fact, somebody that's in an immediate proximity to Rachel. But I'm getting ahead of myself. The room is adjacent to a balcony, which overlooks their nice pool. So these people are not wanting for anything. And I noticed that in her room, you can see the light reflecting, which it's always that way with a body of water, where the moonlight is reflecting off of the pool, or most pools obviously have some type of internal light system or some sort of lights that change color. But you can see that there's a pool. She steps out on her nice balcony walking around in the dark, looking at the pool, and suddenly there is a rope that is dangling about four feet below. She does what any normal person would do. She starts pulling the rope up to act out her curiosity and realizes that there is a perfectly fashioned noose at the end of that rope, and it is already tied to the balcony. Well, faux Ghostface wastes no time. He fucking appears behind her, 
throws the noose around her neck, and then violently throws her ass over the balcony, thus causing her to fall about eight feet. You hear a loud snap, and Rachel is just dangling there, helplessly, as the life leaks out of her. She dead. Death by hanging. One thing we know about this faux ghost face person is they like to use a variety of weaponry. Knife, decapitation, yes, very creative. Yep. rope. Mm-hmm. Well, and I wonder if there was a reason he chose the rope. But you, in this- Well, this there is, last- there's a reason. You'll find out very clearly yeah. on, in the episode. Last time we watched it, or when we were watching it, you noticed there's a stairwell on the side mm-hmm. of the balcony. So I think we can assume that's probably how he got up there. It's hard to know. I mean, this, like all the ghost face killers of your, they're pretty sneaky. They're usually slender. I don't know of a lot of fat characters that have played ghost face or faux ghost face. It's usually someone that's slight or lean or can get around easily. You got to be able to run. You got to be able to take a punch. Otherwise, you're not ghost face. So it's possible. But we know that Rachel's dead and we are curious, one, who killed her? We've already figured out in the first five minutes of this episode that whoever was on the phone was responsible for killing Rachel. We also now know, if that wasn't Audrey who killed Rachel, Avi, we know that the person on the phone can call you pretending to be calling you from any person's phone. This is an important technological sophistication. For AQR Web Radio, welcome to Autopsy of a Crime. This is the episode where we are introduced to the beloved Piper, Piper Shaw. Piper Shaw is somewhat of a local celebrity. She has her own podcast, Autopsy of a Crime, and she is so successful People in town recognize her by her voice alone. This is cool. So she is a great character. She's kind of like the Veronica Mars of the Scream world. And she has her little glasses on. She's got kind of a sexy, but kind of a bookish way about her. It's almost like a blend of the two. But what Red Devil and I really like about her is she's got a great style. She's got a really cool, faux, classy style. We also learn that Tyler O'Neill is in fact a person of interest. That's because we know something as the audience that the local sheriff and the characters don't know. Right. Which is that his head was completely removed from his body and dropped to Duncan's splash water on Nina in Nina's hot tub. But as his head is gone from the scene of the crime, everyone just wonders, where is he? What is he up to? Right. So he's a POI. They just think he left town. And so that is what's casting the most suspicion. Now we get some emotional range here. We get a very heartfelt apology from Sister Brooke. Brooke, Brooke, Brooke. She delivers an apology to Emma that, I'll tell you the truth, if Emma declined her apology, I would think Emma was kind of a bitch. Because Brooke goes to Emma at school in front of at least Riley and puts all of her emotional cards on the table and says, I'm sorry, Emma. I'm sorry that I did not tell you about Will and Nina. You know how Nina could be if you crossed her? Terrifying. Don't you think that was a good, genuine apology? I did. Yeah, and I think it further develops how we're supposed to, and really how we end up feeling about Brooke. You really begin to like her, actually. But Emma is not a bitch. She's actually all right. She accepts Brooke's apology, and they have a nice moment. And then Riley is just happy that the three musketettes are together again. I like the technological anachronism that's referenced where Brooke says, well, he must be agent if he thinks we're still on Facebook. (laughs) That's funny, because the killer had made a comment to Emma previously about your Facebook friends and whatnot. And so Brooke is actually making light of the killer's lack of technology. And this was in 2015. What's interesting is that I thought Facebook was going the way of the dodo or the dinosaur, but I have since been corrected. And Facebook is still alive and well, making something of a comeback. I thought it was like geriatrics only that were on Facebook to stay in touch with their kids. No, it does have a wider audience. What do you think? 
Well, I had Facebook back in the day when you had to have a college account. Emma and Brooke both suspect strongly that the killer is a guy. As in a male. As in carrying male plumbing. Why? I don't remember that. Did they say why? I'm not suggesting that they have a lengthy conversation about how a man and a woman and their kill patterns and all that. It's more like they say he a lot. They're referring to the killer as he did or this killer guy did. I got you. They're just basically flippantly disregarding the fact that this voice modulator could come from any source. Well, and maybe... And I say that because we know that the person on the phone with Rachel was not Audrey, but it sounded like Audrey. So right. it even took her voice. Well, and maybe they're even, they know it's the Brandon James mask, right? Or there's, I don't remember if they already know that yet, but well, they okay, know if, about... If, at this point, let's think of who has seen the killer. Nina, she's dead. Tyler probably saw the killer. He's dead. The killer was looking up at the balcony of Rachel and Audrey in the prior episode, but they never saw him. It was the Paybacks a Bitch video of, of Nina right. in the pool bleeding out, yes. and then the face was there. And, okay. And, but also the crimes, I've gathered the impression that there have not been a lot of violent crimes in Lakewood's history, but for the Brandon James affair. So these are crimes much like Columbine, probably, even though it occurred 10 years ago, 20 years ago, in this case, like 30 years ago almost, the wounds still feel fresh. I also like that the slaughtering of Rachel, it was well done for two reasons. The first is it was not completely random. Because in the last episode, towards the very end, you have Rachel and Audrey sitting on said balcony, having a heart-to-heart. And it occurs at the very beginning of the episode. So this show is keeping you in suspense of when the murders will occur. And so sometimes it may happen at the very end. Sometimes it may happen at a lackadaisical moment throughout. It's hard to pinpoint exactly what's going to come next. And that's why, as there is a pivotal character with some very precocious words spoken at some point in this season... You'll never see it coming. Now, this is Noah speaking to HUD, Sheriff Hudson. He corrects him. <laughs> Just like Noah. I, I love Noah. Well, he can't help himself. It's like, um, Brandon is actually a mass murderer, not a serial killer, because he committed multiple murders in one fell swoop, basically. And HUD's face in response, as HUD is talking to him at the police station, HUD is not impressed. Yeah. He just stares at Noah, and Noah's like, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. It's great. It's a great scene. It's that comic relief, but it also shows that HUD doesn't really have a sense of humor when it comes to brutal murders in his town. He's feeling the pressure. Yeah, of course. Now, Noah also, it's important to note, he, once upon a time, sent a few emails to Brandon's brother, Troy, as in Troy James, to try to get some more information. And of course, when he tells the sheriff this, the sheriff has some follow-up questions. But as this is happening... Kieran comes into the room as Noah is in the process of leaving, and Noah basically thanks Kieran, and Kieran's like, in his cool Leonardo DiCaprio hair type way, no problem. Well, of course, Hud, who has an interest in the town, particularly on murder alert, he also has an interest in his biological son, Kieran. So he asks Kieran, what was that all about? Oh, you know, there were just some jocks that were messing with Noah, and they left him atop Ren Lake in the last episode. Oh, okay. Who are these jocks? And that's when Kieran... He tells Hud he's not a 21 Jump Street snitch. Yeah, he's like, I'm your son, not your 21 Jump Street snitch, bitch. And what does Hud he say to say that? Bitch. I know, but what does Hud have to say to that? Nothing. So Hud simply he gives, gives him the house key yeah. and lets him go on his way. I like Hud. I think Hud... I love Hud. I love Kieran, too. Obviously, there is tension between Hud and Kieran. He was not living with Hud until the death of his mother and stepfather. So obviously... 
well, maybe it's not tension. Maybe it's just they don't have a relationship. But you can tell that HUD does care about Kieran. It's just a little bit cold. HUD is great. Now, Jake named his truck, this big black truck, the Behemoth. It has a spotlight added to the roof. He also shows that he has some smarts. He refers to Nina as a sexual sniper. He suggests that Nina, and this is backed up by everyone else, Brooke and Audrey and Emma, everyone knows that Nina was that quintessential popular girl that had no soul. She was also highly manipulative and she would always get her way, particularly when it came to men. We also realize that Jake is straight up lying to Will. And this plays a factor in the prophecy that was given by faux Ghostface. Everyone tells secrets. Everyone tells lies, as Noah so expertly explains in the first episode. But Jake is lying to Will, which will, of course, no doubt lead to some melodramatic subplot or perhaps something darker and deeper. I'm going to tell you right now that I love Piper's voice. We get to meet Piper in this episode in at least a few scenes. And Piper is at this little makeshift memorial board for Nina. Piper is walking around with her cell phone with a microphone attached to it that she will interview people for her podcast, Autopsy of a Crime. And she just has a great voice. She has a great voice for podcasting. This is also interesting. When Piper first meets Audrey right in front of Noah, she says to Audrey, you look very familiar. This is an interesting statement. Why does Piper think that Audrey looks familiar? Is this a coincidence? Does Audrey just have one of those celeb faces? We don't know. We also see in this case that Audrey is acting very shy. This is also interesting. And then I love when we realize two things as Jake approaches his behemoth that he left parked at the school because he was on a bender from Brooke's party. He goes to see his behemoth. He follows a trail of what looks like dried blood. And then he sees in big red letters on the side of his behemoth truck the word douche. And douche is spelled with two O's and completely incorrect. And in this moment, you realize, okay, one, Jake is very pissed, and he takes his truck's immaculateness seriously. He immediately runs around the school on a tirade to find who's responsible, and he immediately accosts Noah, grabs him by the throat, and threatens to kill him if he found out he had anything to do with painting douche on the side of his truck. Two seconds later, as Jake walks off, and by the way, this is good acting on both Jake and Noah's part in this scene. But as Jake storms off, like the Godzilla that he is, or the Jakezilla, Noah immediately says to Audrey, and Audrey says to Noah, Hey, misspelling the word douche was a nice touch. And that's where Noah's like, yeah, I should have used something other than this paint because I look like Carrie at prom. You realize why there was what looked like blood on Noah's forehead at the end of the pilot. You realize that it was red paint, and it was Noah painting douche on Jake's truck to pay him back for the Wren Lake fiasco. That is good fucking writing. Way to go, Noah. Way to go, Noah, indeed. But I did like that moment where Jake is attacking Noah. Audrey tries to step in the way, and he says, Can it, Les Beast? <laughs> and I love the carry at prom by the time I got home because he was covered in red. That's hilarious. There is a new headline, and there is going to be some pressure taken off of Audrey because of the fact that Jake just accosted Noah in front of the entire school while Piper was filming. So maybe Audrey will get a little bit of a break from that viral video of her and Nina kissing. Also, you learn here that HUD, Sheriff HUD, in one of his many back alley conversations with Maggie, HUD is only worried about Maggie. He's only worried about her well-being. He wants her to be okay. He wants her to not be too worried about anything. And because of that, we see that he is a good guy, just like Red Devil was just saying, and he cares about his bio son, Kieran. The line where Noah says he has zero game. <laughs> Riley's over here, and by the way, they're playing great music. They're playing Oh Wonder during this scene. 
But Riley straight up is like staring in Noah's eyes. She says, well, maybe we could, you know, lay out and look at stars together. Or maybe we could watch some movies together. And he's like, yeah. Or maybe I can just, you know, let you borrow the movie. Or, <laughs> or maybe we can watch the stars separately. And then she just is like, okay. And then she walks off and he's like, I have zero game. <laughs> again, anything that leads to a Noah soliloquy is right up my alley. So I love when Seth Branson entertains him again and says, all right, Will Graham, what is the killer's design? I love it so much. It was the opening quote for this episode. But we get the No Wonder song. I love No Wonder. Audrey's officially distraught for the killer remains uncaught. Audrey is very concerned now because she is aware of the fact that Rachel is dead. And this is why the rope was used, we will learn. Rachel, when she's ultimately found by the authorities, is hanging from a ceiling fan. We know she was a cutter, and that is why she was positioned to look like she killed herself. So Audrey is upset by this, thinking, oh no, she went through with her plans. But Audrey will be even more upset, but in a different way, when she realizes that it may have been a murder. But for now, everyone, except Maggie and possibly HUD, just assumes that she offed herself. The killer is out stalking and skulking around. Don't forget that there is a killer on the loose. You never know where this killer is. You never know where this killer might be. I love the coffee shop. The coffee shop that Emma works in is fantastic, and I love this introductory scene between Emma and Piper as they are meeting each other for the first time officially. Piper evidently did her homework. She knows that Emma is the daughter of Kevin Duvall. Kevin Duvall, of course, being at the middle of the love triangle fuck-up that occurred many years before with Emma's mother, Daisy, at the time. But they are talking in the middle of the cafe. Emma's at work. Piper's clearly been there for a while, working on her notes. And I just love this exchange. And I love what Emma says when she says, Look, you respect my privacy. I will keep you caffeinated. That is the arrangement that this couple works out here in the coffee shop. Now we have the alleyway scene. Fantastic. And just like Skeet Ulrich, Will shows up right after Emma thinks she's being chased down the alley. Because the killer never comes around the Very corner. Very suspicious. I do remember thinking that was suspicious. Now we have one of the best songs ever in the history of time, show, or any cinematic achievement. There's a Ghost by Flurry. I absolutely love this song. It's a very melancholy song. It's a very beautiful song. And if you listen closely, you can even hear, along with all of the Edgar Allan Poe references, you can hear a heartbeat, as in the Telltale Heart. The lyrics to this song are so magical. There's a ghost, she's wearing my face. At parties, being introduced with my name. Just a skeleton of bones, wearing nothing but clothes, and she is paralyzing. That is some good songwriting. And again, you can hear the heartbeat straight out of the Telltale Heart. There are many references to Poe. There's a black... There's a heartbeat under my floorboards, charging me guilty, and I don't know what for. There's a blackbird over my door, singing nevermore. Nevermore, nevermore. Really nice. Now, really, really nice. Love the song. Also love how the song is utilized in the episode. You've got Audrey snipping together a memorial video for happier times with Rachel. And it is a really beautiful scene. And I love that song so much. I immediately downloaded it on iTunes the second that I had the chance five years ago. And I love the shit out of it. And Red Devil loves the shit out of it. And it's a great montage and I fucking love it. Go listen now. We have a basketball game going on where we've got... <laughs> wow, what a transition. That was that was really just an excellent transition. We've got Will and Jake playing in this basketball game. And they, of course, represent Lakewood. 
there are some opposing spectators for Stanton, and they're holding up a massive sign that says, Bulldogs are going to beat Murderville, and Murderville is written in blood red paint, and there's some sharp knives with blood dripping off of the knife. And Mayor Maddox has to walk on over, rip up the big banner sign, and say, like, what the hell's wrong with you little shits, basically. He's so funny. I love him. Love Mayor Maddox, i.e. Brooke's father. In this scene, we have Brooke and Emma, Emma being a nice girl, even though she's mad at Will, she does show up to pay support for the basketball efforts. But Brooke decides when she sees the sexy Seth Branson walking his way across the basketball floor and heading to the concession stand, Brooke decides that she needs some licorice whips. Also, we have the Murderville sign, which I mentioned, which is just hysterical. The cell phone trick is clear. It's very clever that with the use of this technology, this faux ghost face can be anybody, can be anywhere. So every message or phone call that a character receives, you have to wonder, is the sender the intended sender of that message? Or have they been imposterized? I think I just made up a word. I like it. But this keeps the suspense, the fear of death alive and motherfucking well. And then, of course, we have the football scene where Noah walks out on an empty football field. Friday night lights are on, but then the lights are immediately shut off, which thus makes it Friday night frights. Riley pops up, puts her hands over his eyes and says, boo, or something of the like. And Noah's like, whoa, whoa, you're a ninja. That's racist. And he's like, oh, I'm so, she's like, I'm just fucking with you. It's great. Riley's cool. Someone can call Riley a ninja and she doesn't immediately label them a racist for life. I like it. We also learn as they're laying out, looking up at the stars in the middle of this football field, two things. One, the original Terminator is Noah Foster's favorite goddamn flick. Secondly, Riley comes prepared. This ninja is also a skilled bartender as she has brought in a thermos, a basil cucumber martini. This sounds delicious and nutritious. Great music is playing. Emma's at home. And this is basically going to take us through the remainder of the episode. The reason that Brooke was getting licorice whips is she has a little melodrama conversation with Seth Branson. It's more of the same. Nothing really new is established here other than Brooke is skinny enough that she can wear a midriff shirt and it looks fine. We are now at Emma's house. Emma's hanging out on her sofa with her shoes on, lounging around, tracking mud on the sofa cushions, whatever. The door to the kitchen instantly opens, becomes ajar. The alarm goes off. We learn that the alarm code is 1728. 1728. She immediately gets a call from the home security company, and they ask her to identify herself and to provide the code word. Well, what is the code word, Red Devil? Amethyst. Well, what is amethyst? Amethyst is a violet variety of quartz. The name comes from the coin Greek, amethystos. And I believe it's the birthstone for February. A reference to the belief that the stone protected its owner from drunkenness. Ancient Greeks wore amethyst and carved drinking vessels from it in the belief that it would prevent intoxication. Can I get one? Why isn't this a thing? I have to pause. Why don't we have drinking glasses made of amethyst? Or you're at a party with your friends and you're celebrating something, so you're going to party hard. And you just drop a little amethyst crystal in all their glasses and say, (laughs) hey, everybody, we can drink as much as we motherfucking want. Hey. And then when the cop pulls you over, you're like, oh, you don't understand. Put amethyst crystal in the glass. You know that those Greeks, it's all about eliminating intoxication. Uh, All I know is I have my Etsy store idea. Boom. Uh, Copyright. Red Devil. How to Get Away with Murder is a show Emma says that she likes while on the phone with this security guy who's trying to keep her calm as there was a potential break in. I think it's interesting that the show that she lists is How to Get Away with Murder. I love that show. We both like Viola Davis. Viola. Oh, it's Viola. No, it is Viola. You motherfucker. (laughs) 
Also, this is where, again, taking a page right out of the original Scream, Drew Barrymore scene, talking to this security guy on the phone. He's, he's being nice. He's being calm. He's asking her some questions to take her mind off of her fucked anxiety. And he says, you do look tired. What? Mm-hmm. What? What? Sound tired, I mean. Absolutely not. Now, it is a dude's voice on the phone. But again, this means very little in that we don't know who is calling. We get a little bit of suspense building. It becomes more ominous, more foreboding. And it is this moment that we get one of the classic lines ever. Everyone is lying to you, Emma. Your two-faced friends. Your fraud of a family. Your whore of a mother. <laughs> your whore of a mother. Wait, man, Maggie's getting it bad. Your whore of a fucking mother. And she's so sweet. It all started with her, Emma. But it's going to end with you. That is how we end this episode. It is brilliant. Because we got a death. Okay, after the Rachel death, we do not have violence again nobody's stabbed nobody is very overtly chased it's suspense it's build-up it's red herring terror and then we get not a face-to-face confrontation but a phone call and that's how we end the episode i love it i knew by the pilot i was hooked but this just solidified it this forever cemented my love of scream the tv series what is the total tween body count one uno rachel with her ambiguously murderous suicide, poolside view took her breath away. Oh! Now it's time for tunes for the post-op surgical mask wearing loons. Monsters under my bed. We are, we are. That's Ruel. Great song. And this is after looking at the comments on the viral video. Rachel grabs a razor and starts to cut her arm. Was the killer under her bed? Or was it a fictitious monster under her bed? We will never know. Then we have Lose Control by BFGF. This is when Jake and Will talk about Emma breaking up with Will and Nina's death in the parking lot. Now we have another fan-fucking-tastic song. I never would have even learned of this band, probably, if not for Scream. But it is Shark by Oh Wonder. Red Devil and I, or Daisy Bell and I here, saw Oh Wonder in Austin, Texas. Amazing performance. We love them. It's basically a two-person band with some instrumentation. This is when Noah offers to help Riley with her computer project. Then she suggests they go stargazing. You then have Kingdom of Alone by Bertie Blackman. This is at the Grindhouse when Emma meets Piper, and she realizes from her voice alone that it is Piper from Autopsy of a Crime. My favorite song, this is in my top 50 songs of all time, There's a Ghost by Flory, and this is when Emma runs off in tears after confessing to her mom, and Audrey uploads a memorial video of Rachel. Lastly, we have How I Look for You, by Juliette Kamagare. Emma's home alone. This is when she's on the couch getting dirt and filth on the sofa cushions from the bottom of her shoes and the alarm goes off, triggered by the kitchen door opening. This was a fantastic fucking episode. I love Scream the TV series. I love that I was able to fasten this faux ghost face as a way of paying homage and tribute to a show so spectacular. Now I'm going to ask you, Daisy Bell, I'll see you in hell. I'm going to ask you to please tell me of any last-minute thoughts, rejoinders, or procrastinated statements you would like to express about this episode. I feel like I shared everything I love. So really all that leaves is let's go episode three. Dreamy Screamers, please go to Apple Podcast and leave a series of comments of anything that you like or that you appreciate about faux ghostface, slick flick pick, white collar, black belt, There are at least six different explorations for you to embark on under the main heading of Chemohawk Sessions. I very much appreciate your words, your support, and your listenership. 
Killings a lonely, and Noah has zero game. The filthy rich, a snooty bitch, and a 21 Jump Street snitch. In this town, marked Murderville, there are b-ball games to play and fans to kill. Will you dream a little surreal dream or scream aloud and wake yourself from a too real dream? Dream a little scream for us, dreamy screamers, or stream a little scream for us, streaming screamers. Scream the TV series is presently available on Netflix. Can you spot the killer's brand, cold knife clutched in their blood-red hand? The pilot proved a pulse-pounding blast. Episode 2 shouts from the stadium, alleyway, and balcony that the main cast can't. Faux Ghostface, outrun, outthink, or outlast. The Lakewood body count grows to three. One corpse closer to a killing spree. Unlock your balcony door and take a gander at the reflections in your pool. Grab the dangling noose and play the fucking fool. If you listen intently and watch with focused peepers, you just might catch the next chapter coming! Fogo's face. Third serving of a kill undeserving. Police station evisceration. Luring Riley through texted smiley. Your host, the Noah Foster Imposter, Falsetto Prophet, and co-host, Daisy, you'll meet me in Hellbell. Red Devil, out! out.